Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering three conversations from episode 49. Finally, a clinical care pathway for hidden pandemic. Ken Cousy starts this conversation by discussing the ways in which he hopes physicians' perspectives and behavior around fatty liver will change once they start to adopt this pathway. I comment on two elements of the design that quietly send the message, this is a big deal, and you, the reader, needs to act, with Ken explaining why things were designed that way. Finally, Ken and Stephen Harrison discuss research demonstrating the prevalence of fatty liver disease is significantly higher than previously believed, and that over the decade, the most important change between two parallel populations surveyed 10 years apart was a dramatic increase in severe fibrosis. This episode tells the story of what will be an important piece of fatty liver history. At the same time, it provides pivotal insight into the practical challenges in risk stratification, testing, diagnosis, and management of NAVL and NASH patients that we face today. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Ken Kusi. As simple as it is, it did take a lot of back and forth because there's a lot of opinions on everything, you know, in medicine. So we boil it down to a clear message. You know, we, we thought about what about a cutoff age for diabetes? What about which risk factors? So I just hope that this will now help different societies really ask for people with type 2 diabetes to be screened with this low-end tool and move forward. But again, there's even a lot of inaction with steatosis and elevated liver enzymes, the AD since 2019 selected that group, but very few endocrinologists do anything about it. So the second thing why I'm excited about this is because I think that once they discover their first patient with cirrhosis by doing this systematically, it'll be an eye-opener. It's like when we began screening for osteoporosis because we began using a bone densitometer in our older patients with risk factors. Oh, wow, men get osteoporosis too. I mean, oh, steroids do cause osteoporosis. So it is this kind of thing. Once you diagnose one, it creates this positive reinforcement. And we are fully aware with Steve and everybody, this is just a first step. It's like Windows 1.0 and now I don't know what number they are, but it by no means a piece of art. I think the only beauty of it is we kept it as simple as possible. And it's one step that other societies can embrace and multi-specialty. So we are happy of the collective effort done. And hopefully this will lead to a brighter future because as Steve said, I have electronic medical records down to 20 years on people. I have people who have seen by literally hundreds of doctors and advanced practice providers, but nobody thought about cirrhosis until it's too late. So I'm excited that I'm sure we're going to help some people avoid organ damage. Roger Green. As I was listening, I was thinking about Steven's comment about a trial in Nijam only takes you so far, but one anecdote in your office takes you much farther. And I thought about that in the context of your comment about the first time people realized they had cirrhosis patients. That makes a ton of sense. I normally wait until I dive into something to see how I feel about it. But in the first 15 seconds, I looked at this paper and read the first paragraph. I had three reactions, two strongly positive, one a question. The first strongly positive reaction was the idea that you put right up at the top a QR code saying, hey, put this on your phone. I think if you want to send a message about practical, that's about as good as it gets, particularly when you then see the tables and you see that they're colorful and they're bright and they're easy to read and all that, number one. Number two, a simple declarative statement at the beginning that says it's affecting approximately 37% of U.S. adults as compared to, say, 25 to 37% because there are different studies with different numbers. I thought also 
A, in terms of making this not merely an academic effort, but something that had a goal was powerful. And then B, that's that's really a smack you in the face number. Well, those are real recent numbers, of course, but these studies have been done in the last year. Steve has done the most sophisticated screening study, and he'll probably tell you about that. We did a very down-to-earth study where we just wanted to ask the basic question that was missing. And if people with diabetes that go to a clinic for the regular follow-up, how often do they have fat in the liver that is defined as steatosis and how often do they have fibrosis? And it's astonishing. It's 70% of people. I mean, again, if you had heard the word fatty liver or told you had fatty liver, you were excluded from the study. So these were people who had no idea, neither them nor their doctors. And the most astonishing thing is about 21% had fibrosis and 15% had what we define as moderate to advanced or cirrhosis. So one out of six, I mean, and when I give a talk, I ask, you know, dear friends, in the last 10 patients, how many people do you diagnose with advanced liver disease? And of course, you know, they look at each other and nobody's done that. So this just published this year by a group of researchers here at the University of Florida. And again, but this is the same data from NHANES that that was published by Dr. Ciardulo and Dr. Persigin. And Steve has done the most elegant studies on, on prevalence. So, so I think that this is actionable work that we have to move forward with. I have one more comment. I'm going to let it go to everybody else, which is, I then read the second sentence of the paper, which begins, NAFLD is most often managed in primary care or endocrine clinics. And my reaction was to think, and you're smiling, so you might know where I'm going here, Ken, is to think that patients with NAFLD are managed in those settings. But from everything I know, and certainly from what you're saying today, the NAFLD isn't what gets managed, right? Well, I mean, my hope is that it will. And again, I chose those colors. Green, meaning low risk, you can go. Yellow, mm, let's stop a little bit and think about things. And red, you're in trouble. So straight to the hepatologist. So those colors were not by chance. And I have to say that we are, but not doing a very good job because first, if you have diabetes, there are diabetes medications that have specifically shown benefit in NAS. But again, we don't have any FDA-approved drugs. So I think that to some extent, increasing the awareness that if you, instead of choosing insulin or choosing esophenyl urea or a drug that doesn't do anything for your liver or to prevent NASH, you could use drugs that at least in studies between one and a half to three years have shown to halt the progression of fibrosis and reverse that inflammation like uh, semaglutide and pioglitazone. But we also make other important points like statins. Don't stop your statins. You know, at least until people have even an F3, people are going to die more often of cardiovascular disease than than of uh, cirrhosis. Lifestyle. It's not just a pat in the back and stop the junk food and come and see me in six months. You need to try to get them into a serious structured program, even more if you have advanced fibrosis. People forget a bariatric surgery. So there are things you can do now. That's a very important message too for people. So, Stephen, I want to apologize. And Ken, I realize we're hoping this podcast is going to get to people who don't regularly listen to Surfing Nash. So please, can you take a few minutes and talk about the prevalence study? Because I'm realizing a lot of people who, if, if we do this for a lot of people who are hearing this, will not have heard us talk about that before. Stephen Harrison. Sure. The prevalence study was a large prospective trial that we performed at Brook Army Medical Center, which is a tertiary care center, quite different than the VA hospital 
enrolled uh, DOD seeds patients just like Gainesville does, University of Florida, cradle to grave. We treat people from birth all the way into their 90s and 100s. This study was conducted in people that presented for routine colon cancer screening. So these were people in their early to mid 50s. Our mean age was 55 years old, equal males and females that wanted to know their colon health. These weren't people having a colonoscopy because they were bleeding or they had loose stools or whatever. They were just uh, referred by their PCP for routine cancer screening. And so they were there for a health checkup. So it made sense that we would ask them, would you like to know your liver health at the time you're learning your colon health? And the very interesting thing about this is we excluded anybody who came to us with any known history of liver disease, regardless of etiology. And then we set the threshold for alcohol intake at a very standard threshold for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And we excluded patients on certain medications, the typical ones that could cause fatty liver. And once you made it through all that and you wanted to be considered for the study, we signed consent and began the screening process, which was a blood test for routine liver chemistry assessments, basic chemistry panel, lipids. They underwent a fiber scan with CAP. They underwent MR elastography, MRI proton density fat fraction, and MRI multiparametric, which is corrected T1. So they got all the state-of-the-art imaging scanning that could be done at the time. We ultimately then looked at specific parameters of those imaging or lab tests. And if they met certain thresholds that we would link to fatty liver or fatty liver with some degree of inflammation or fibrosis, we offered a liver biopsy. Now, not everybody that had an abnormal scan accepted the offer of a liver biopsy, but we had over 250 that did. We ended up scanning 660 some odd patients. And of those, there was a certain percentage that were positive. We offered liver biopsy and we ended up doing about 250 liver biopsies. This was done over about a five-year period of time. So it was prospective and it was image-based and then followed by liver biopsy where indicated. At the end of the day, the striking finding was 37% of our cohort had fatty liver as defined by MRI PDFF of 5% or more. The NASH prevalence was 14%. And those that had moderate to advanced liver disease was 5.9%. And consistent with all the work that Ken Cousy has done in the diabetic field, if you look specifically at our diabetic cohort that was part of the trial, 70% had fatty liver and 37% had NASH on liver biopsy. Our highest risk group was an obese, diabetic, hypertensive, Hispanic female, where 92% of them had fatty liver and 46% had NASH. So that's the study in a nutshell. Maybe the most striking thing I could add, we've gone back and combined it with data from an original cohort of patients we published in gastroenterology in 2011. It was the same type of patients at the same institution. It was a smaller number, 330 as opposed to 660. But the prevalence of NASH then was 12%. The prevalence of NASH now is 14%. So if you roll them together, you have over a thousand patients worth of data prospectively obtained showing that in a middle-aged cohort of patients, NASH prevalence is really between 12 and 14%. But the striking finding was the increase in the prevalence of moderate to severe disease from 2.7 to 5.9% over this eight to 10 year period of time, which is consistent with the modeling data that Estes, Rohit, Zobair, and, and Arun published in 2015, predicting what was going to happen with NASH over a 15 year period from 2015-2016. 
2015 to 2030, where there would be a significant increase in the number of people with decompensating disease and cirrhosis. This points to that now in 2021, showing that the number doubled. It's interesting to look at the studies independently, but also to put them together and begin to see what's happened over the 10-year period between the two published sets of data. And now, back to Roger. We hope you have enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, October 13th, to discuss innovations in imaging the liver with Lars Johansson reprising the talk he gave at Paris Nash. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now. 